You're now listening to the Hot Take Podcast with Stephen Blake, your source for everything fantasy football. Here are your hosts, Stephen Taroni and Blake Sullivan of Roto Baller. Welcome. This is the Hot Take Podcast. We are back for another episode. The NFL draft has come and gone. Of course, you listen to all of our brilliant takes for the NFL draft, and you are currently in your dynasty drafts right now, and you might be on the clock, so we're going to get you prepared. We got John Laub on the show today of Football Diehards. What's going on, man? Oh, man, it has been a wild four months. It's the most exciting. I basically went sleepless for 72 hours between Thursday night to Saturday. But now it's dynasty time, right? So we got to start grading our rookies, thinking about where we're going to draft. I have a dynasty league start up on Saturday, um, a rookie draft on Saturday. I've already done two mock drafts, so I'm psyched. I'm ready to rock and roll and talk about these rookies. My guy, yes, you are the perfect uh, analyst to come on to the show for this kind of episode. Uh, Of course, you got your dynasty drafts coming up. I knew you would. And then, of course, my co-host, Blake Sullivan, is back. He took a little bit of a hiatus, a little bit of a breather uh, from the hot take, but I'm glad to have him back. What's going on, Blake? I'm back, baby. Let's go. (laughs) That draft draft was really fun. There's a lot of things that really shocked me. Uh, some players that fell a lot. So we'll get right into that. Uh, a lot of things coming up for your dynasty leagues that are really important. You're going to catch here. That's right. We're going to get into the rookie winners and losers. And, you know, by the way, guys, uh, the rookie winners and losers will decide if they are winners and losers right here on this episode. I have them listed as such, but you know what? You guys might disagree with me on some of these and that's fine. Um, it's pretty subjective at this point as, you know, we haven't seen these guys play any NFL snaps. But let's get right into it. We want to start off with a quick question. And which team had the best draft? And we're talking strictly from a football perspective, not necessarily fantasy, but of course that is all encompassed. Uh, Blake, why don't you start us off and then we'll throw it up to John. <laughs> I couldn't pick just one team here. I had a really hard time picking Uh, I thought that the Washington Redskins, San Francisco 49ers, and the Cleveland Browns all did a really good job. Uh, You know, Cleveland didn't make a ton of moves as far as fantasy-relevant players. They got Greedy Williams off the board first, and they did a lot uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And they got Austin Seibert from Oklahoma, a kicker. Uh, That's not going to make headlines, but that's something that, you know, Cleveland really needs that if they're going to put on some – put some points on the board uh, other than from Baker Mayfield. So that was important there. But the big thing for me was Nick Bosa in San Francisco is going to be a monster. And I think he's going to help take that team to the next level. And then in Washington, you got Kelvin Harmon and of course, Dwayne Haskins going there. I think that's going to be a great pair. And they beefed up the offensive line to help him out some. Uh, Your boy, Kelvin Harmon. Yeah, we're going to get into him a little bit later. Uh, John, uh, so who, who came out on top uh, based on your analysis? So there's two teams. I couldn't pick one either. Um, the first one is the Arizona Cardinals. We can debate if Cliff Kingsbury is going to be successful in the NFL or not. That's a different discussion. But once as an organization, 
you have decided to hand the keys to the Cadillac to Kingsbury. You must allow him to bring in the personnel that fits his system. So while I might have thought from an NFL standpoint they have to keep Josh Rosen, I understand why the organization went to Kyler Murray at number one. So I love that pick. I felt they should have done a better job with transitioning Josh Rosen out of the organization. I think they lost a lot of value by delaying the trade. I think it would have been more astute for the franchise to get rid of him before the draft. And I think the Dolphins got a steal. But I'm cool with Kyler Murray. But where I believe that the Arizona Cardinals won, I've watched a ton of Texas Tech football over the last seven years. Hmm. They are going to run Cliff Kingsbury's air raid offense. Now, we'll see if professional players can run that high-paced system because they have roster limits in the NFL. In college football, you have many more players on your roster so you can run people in and out on the defensive and offensive sides of the football so they don't get so tired. His system needs six receivers minimum on game day. When they go out and get Andy Isabella, my number 10, pre-draft wide receiver. They get my number three, pre-draft wide receiver, Akeem Butler. And then they acquire one of my tremendous sleepers, a player that I really like that I think was going under the radar, Keyshawn Johnson. Then you have the Hall of Famer, Larry Fitzgerald. You have sophomore Christian Kirk. Then I'm sure they're going to bring in a plethora of other players to compete for playing time. So I think they upgraded the personnel at the wide receiver core so dramatically they can now have potential to run this air raid offense. And I'll tell you what's going over, in my opinion, under the radar. They got three very nice defensive players. Byron Murphy was my number one quarterback in this draft from Washington. Mm. They got him in the top of the first round. Zach Allen from Boston College, from my home state of Connecticut. He's a good defensive end who can put pressure on the quarterback. And they got Deontay Thompson, the safety from Alabama. I can't believe he lasted until the fifth round. I think they got three starters on defense. They got a franchise quarterback and three wide receivers who will be integral, integral components of the passing game. So, on that long-winded one, I definitely think they did the best. The second best to me was Jacksonville. They got, in my opinion, two of the top ten players overall in the draft. Josh Allen, look it. You got him at number seven. Unbelievable. I know he had, unbelievable, dude. I understand there are some concerns, and, you know, he might not be the greatest against the run. But when you're strictly talking about a pass rusher, he is a monster. He hunts down quarterbacks. I thought that was an unbelievable draft pick. And you know what? Pass rushers are like starting pitchers in baseball. You can never have enough. I will take every pass rusher on my team and let me go and get the quarterback. So I think that was great for a defense that slipped last year because they got too cocky, I believe. Young teams do that. 
I expect Jacksonville to, to bounce back on defense significantly this year. And now they added an incredible pass rusher to that unit. And then Jawan Taylor was my number two graded offensive tackle in this draft. I really like this young man. Now, obviously, there were some injury concerns. I had him as a top 10 pick in my mock draft. Six foot five, 312 pounds, just a road grader, a massive, massive offensive tackle. Yes, I understand in the pass, passing game, he needs to improve his technique and get a little bit better. But they got him in the top of the second round. Obviously, rumors after the draft were that there had been some injury reports. But when you can get to me, two blue chip starters on both sides of the line of scrimmage on defense and in the offensive line, I think they hit a home run. Josh Oliver, I think, is a very interesting piece of tight end. He flew up draft boards. I was surprised at how much press he got. I liked him at San Diego State. He's a vertical threat, very good wide receiver, but he really catapulted up draft boards in this draft process. So he won the third round. And I think a very important piece, Ryquel Armstead of Temple in, yes. the fifth, in the fifth round. He's a little bit Marlon Mack. He it fits this run scheme. You know Jacksonville's going to be heavy run. T.Y. Hilton got a lot of yards, a lot of receptions last year. Leonard Fournette can't stay on the field for 16 games. I think Ryquel Armstead in the fifth round is a great pick for the Jaguars. Yeah, I can't, I couldn't agree more. And it's, you know, it's crazy how a team like the Jaguars can get players like Josh Allen to fall to them in the first round. Yeah, unbelievable, dude. Perfect fit. Um, and I just, I really couldn't believe it. But, you know, you make the case uh, for the Cardinals to have the, you know, unequivocal best draft when you talk about they got their franchise quarterback and then potentially three starters on defense plus, you know, the wide receivers that make sense for this system, you know. Yes. So I'm really excited about Kyler Murray to Andy Isabella this, uh, this season. And I think that's going to be an immediate impact for fantasy and, you know, real-life football, obviously. Um, hey, you, you know what? I think it's go big or go home. Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury are either going to be awesome where that offense clicks, or you know what? They're going to crash and burn because the offensive line just cannot protect the quarterback. And I love the drama, and I love watching this unfold. Yep, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, my, you know, my team is the Baltimore Ravens, and I think what they did right away, which is very uncharacteristic for this uh, ball club, is they addressed the offensive playmakers, and they drafted Marquise Brown. So obviously for fantasy purposes, we were hoping Marquise Brown would go into a higher – uh, powered offense like a Kansas City or something like that you know we're you know the Baltimore Ravens obviously are a run first team at this point but what they did was they needed receivers and they like Marquise Brown at this spot at the 25th pick I personally thought that they were going to go Nikhil Harry I probably would have uh, liked that better for the fit but what they ended up doing is they in the in round three kind of like Josh Allen they just saw Jalen Ferguson right in front of them who 
listen, they just lost Terrell Suggs, so what do they need to do? They need to establish that edge rusher, and they got him. They got the perfect fit in Jalen Ferguson. This guy is named the sack daddy for a reason. 17.5 sacks last year, led the FBS, and then 19.1% of his pass rushes uh, applied pressure on, it, on those pass rushes, and that was only second to Josh Allen, who we were just talking about. And then, of course, later, why I like the Marquise Brown pick a little bit more, they got Miles Boykin from Notre Dame. Not a lot of Kyle, uh, college production for Miles Boykin. Um, you know, he did play uh, in only three seasons. Not really a lot of college production. You know, in his senior year, he did get 59 receptions, 872 yards. Um, but he does walk into an opportunity where he can be relevant right away. And then, of course, they got uh, a couple more defensive players. They got Amon Marshall to help out in that secondary. And then, of course, on the offensive end, they uh, upgraded the offensive line, added some depth there with Ben Powers out of Oklahoma, who another value pick there. Um, and then Justice Hill, who we're going to talk about later. Um, you know, you wouldn't think that the Ravens were going to draft a running back, but, you know, they couldn't walk away from Justice Hill. I think they had him pretty high up on their boards. And the fourth round, again, great value. They really don't have a pass catching back right now in Baltimore. Um, you know, Justice Hill wasn't that for Oklahoma State. But I think that they're going to try to turn him into that for the Ravens. That'll be interesting to see this offseason because they really don't have that pass catcher scat back. You know, they have Mark Ingram, who can pass, catch passes. They have Gus Edwards, who's obviously a, uh, you know, a plow up the middle. So it'll be very yeah. interesting. I, I like what they did for Lamar Jackson. I like what they did for the defense in Baltimore. I agree with you, my friend. I thought they're in the top five overall and putting their draft board together and who they selected. It's every year for that organization, you know. Uh, they're always going to come out and make smart picks. And then, you know, they got, um, uh, what was it, Trace McSorley, right? And who fits the system perfectly, you know. I mean, Great pick. Seventh round to have a backup for Lamar Jackson, the running quarterback. Unbelievable. That was, that was a huge steal for them. And, you know, they're talking about they'll run him in kind of like Taysom Hill for New Orleans. So, you know, it should be interesting. So let's get into some of these rookie winners. Let's start off with my pre-draft number one running back, Miles Sanders. I have him as a winner because he's a Philadelphia Eagle. And Jordan Howard, you know, isn't the epitome of elite, uh, you know, talent in the NFL right now. So Miles Sanders has a clear path to opportunity. I view him as a winner because of that second round draft pedigree. Um, I know that he's going to be in a running back by committee, but I like him in this fit. And, you know, Jordan Howard isn't necessarily a pass catcher, not at all, really. I think Miles Sanders can really offer that for this team. He's a complete back, in my opinion. Yeah, I think Miles Sanders is a winner, uh, but I don't think I would draft him as a winner. I do have concerns with that backfield being so crowded. And really, that Eagles offense was not great last year anyway. Uh, so I don't know how much I'm going to really want to trust Sanders, but if you can get a good deal on him in your rookie drafts, uh, I think he's definitely worth a stash because he is going to have some really good value, especially if one of those guys in that backfield goes down during the season. He's, you know, if he drops to the, like, you know, past pick five in the first round, grab him up. Um, and I would say, you know, even argue that he could be picked, you know, as a top five pick, you know, not necessarily for the production he's going to give you this year, but, you know, because he was drafted as that second-round guy, 
who they really believe. I mean, he was the, you know, the second running back off of the board in this draft. And I view him as a more complete back than, than Josh Jacobs. Um, so I, I just, for the talent alone, I, I view him as a winner. But again, I would have preferred him in a better spot, like, you know, a Tampa Bay who needs a starting running back. I was surprised that Tampa Bay, we can talk about that later, bypassed all running backs in this draft. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. But is. the only concern I had, Miles Sanders, is my pre-draft number one. I think it's a very good landing spot because I love the offensive line that he's going to play behind. He's got a franchise quarterback. He's got a very good head coach and a good offensive system. My only concern is that Doug Peterson does rotate his running backs. So I wonder if there's a ceiling on Miles Sanders. Like, I don't picture him being a 1,400-yard back simply because they won't give enough touches to any one player. But I do think he's got a great floor. He's in a great system. And injuries over always occur. What if he ended up with 80% of the touches two years down the road, he'd be incredible in that scenario. 100%. And I think that's what dynasty owners are hoping for uh, when you draft Miles Sanders with a first round pick, because obviously they just traded for Jordan Howard. They're going to use him. And we know that he can withstand 200 plus carries because he did it uh, for three years straight in Chicago. Uh, Speaking of Chicago, they addressed that concern with drafting David Montgomery out of Iowa state And this is like the only projection I got right based off the uh, last episode of the hot take. It just seemed like the perfect fit. David Montgomery, the established, you know, uh, workhorse kind of running back to replace a Jordan Howard who got all those carries for uh, for three years. We knew they needed someone. We've talked about it endlessly on this show, Blake, that you can't walk into the 2019 season with just Mike Davis and Tariq Cohen. They had to draft someone. I think it's a perfect fit. David Montgomery, only 21 years old. He'll be 22 when the season starts. He has racked up a little bit of mileage, but he is good to go for 2019. You can draft him confidently uh, in a top five pick in the rookie draft, and he's going to give you production, probably RB2 production, just like Jordan Howard did uh, this season. I'm looking at him as an RB2 this year. Yeah, we talked about this a couple of shows ago, and I think you just have to be delusional if, if you thought the Bears were going to trade away Jordan Howard, the solid running back, and not draft somebody and let Mike Davis be the starting running back. Uh, just no way. No way I could see that happening. So David Montgomery is coming into a great situation there. That offense is really starting to get solid, and I think he's a really good complement to Tariq Cohen because they are going to give him some carries too, but he's kind of a change of pace from him. He's got – a little more elusive ability than Jordan Howard had, but yet he still has that power running uh, potential. And he, he can carry the same amount of carries that Jordan Howard had, if not more. He's proven that in college. No, you're not talking about anybody specific when you say delusional, right? No, no, just in general. <laughs> okay, yeah, just making sure. John, what do, you, what do you think about Dave Montgomery? I know you're a big fan. Yeah, I had him as my um, number three pre-draft running back prospect. I think he ends up in a very enticing situation. If you look back last year, Jordan Howard in Matt Nagy's offense, he finished in the top 20 for PPR scoring. I think he was like number 20 on the nose. Right. And that was shearing time 
with Tariq Cohen, and he doesn't catch passes. Right. So David Montgomery should at least be able to replicate the yards rushing that Jordan Howard had, and he's very good in short yardage. So the touchdowns should be there for David Montgomery, but they're fickle, so you can never guarantee. But I think Howard had nine. So it's not like we're expecting um, Montgomery to have a ton of touchdowns. What makes him so interesting is he's a very, very, very good pass catcher. He's a three-down back. Now, I've been thinking a lot about Matt Nagy. Remember, he was the offensive coordinator of Kansas City two years ago when they had Kareem Hunt. I do believe that he wants to have a bell cow running back, and he would love to have a running back who could handle the three downs just like Kareem Hunt did in Kansas City. The problem was Jordan Howard can't do it because he can't catch passes. So he had to use Tariq Cohen. Now, while I do think Tariq Cohen will have a role in a scenario that Nagy would prefer, I think David Montgomery would get 70% of the snaps and touches in that backfield. So I love him here in this spot. Wow, so you're saying that this actually hurts Tariq Cohen uh, more so than last year. Like we're going to see a a dip in production from Tariq Cohen? Yeah, because I really believe the thing was Jordan Howard can't catch. Watch the film of David Montgomery. I think he had 72 career receptions at Iowa State, and he's very good receiver, and he can make the first tackler miss. I understand he doesn't have home run ability. He's not going to get you the 50-yard touchdown. But what he does have is the ability to make the defender whiff in the open field and get you nine yards on third and seven. That was something Jordan Howard can't do. I believe Nagy would love to run his offense with a three-down back so he doesn't give away formations or the play call as often as it became at times switching Cohen in for Howard last year. Love it. Love it. Yeah, no, David Montgomery, I just drafted him at the 104 in my dynasty rookie draft. Um, I felt I have him at my number three right now. I'm not publishing until the end of the week because I'm super busy. But right now I have him at number three on my dynasty rookie board. And and I I think that's fair. Um, So let's move on to Justice Hill. Uh, Baltimore Ravens obviously selected him. So what we look at with Baltimore Ravens is they have Mark Ingram, they have Gus Edwards, they have Kenneth Dixon. Um, So now you kind of have this murky situation. There's four uh, capable backs, really. I mean, all of these guys can work in this system. But now you have Justice Hill who is different from these guys. He's smaller and he's a lot faster. He has 4-4 speed. He can take the lid off of a defense just like that at any time. That's what he did um, in his college career. So what is he going to do for the Ravens, Blake? I mean, is he going to be utilized right away or is he just kind of like going to wait in line until his time comes? Yeah, I mean, his athletic ability is there. Uh, I'm just a little concerned how they're going to use him, how many carries is he going to get. I think there's definitely a high ceiling for him, especially with a running offense like that. We saw what happened with Gus Edwards last year, who just kind of came out of nowhere and all of a sudden became a borderline RB1 every week. Um, so, So with Justice Hill, I think he has even higher potential than Gus Edwards. But 
at the end of the day, I'm a little bit concerned of how many carries he's going to get uh, and if it's going to be worth me drafting him really high. I think that it's going to be a situation kind of like Reggie Bush, where Reggie Bush came in and he wasn't necessarily the guy right away, but, he, you know, the Saints wanted to use him. I think that somebody like Justice Hill, you have to use that kind of talent. What do you, what do you think, uh, John, for his immediate and then we'll go like long-term uh, production? So I started to look into this. I think one challenge that fantasy owners aren't giving enough credence to is Greg Roman is now the offensive coordinator. We know that Greg Roman is going to be a very run-heavy offense. And the reason I bring that up is because even though they bring in some very nice wide receivers in this draft, how often is Greg Roman going to put the ball in the air? Right. Lamar Jackson, who never, I think, what is he, never threw more than 24 passes in a game last year? Right. So I think they are going to run this football – then they're going to run the football. And when they're third and eight, they're going to run the football. They're going to run the football. I think Mark Ingram's in for a huge season. Now, the question that I have is who leaves this roster? Is it Kenneth Dixon or Gus Edwards? Who does Justice Hill replace? My guess is Gus Edwards should stay because he can replicate more what Mark Ingram does on early downs and short yardage. Kenneth Dixon has not shown us that he can even stay on the field. So if if Dixon gets cut and Justice Hill becomes the third down dynamic pass catching back, I think you'll have like 30, 40 receptions because I just don't see Lamar Jackson dumping the ball off a ton to his running backs. I also have to look to see how often Greg Roman threw to the running backs in his systems. I have to research more in depth Greg Roman's offensive scheme and how often he got the ball into the hands of his running backs in the passing game. That will determine, in my opinion, the value of Justice Hill. Is there a large ceiling or in Greg Roman's offenses, he just, it's kind of like, you know, he's the third progression in the passing game and they just don't use the running, the pass-catching running back often enough. But I like him as a player, and I do like the long-term potential of Justice Hill. I just have to do more on Greg Roman and how he employs those runners. No, it's very true. I mean, the Ravens, as an organization, have used a pass catcher, even multiple pass catchers out of the backfield with Joe Flacco. Of course, it's a completely different system, as you're, you're mentioning with Greg Roman. So I, you know, Justice Hill in college wasn't necessarily used as a pass catcher. He was, you know, he was their uh, explosive back who, uh, you know, behind the great offensive line saw a lot of green uh, and would use that speed to get, you know, to the end zone. Um, But he can withstand, you know, a workload. He is a powerful back, uh, even though he is undersized. I do like Justice Hill. I think it's a win because of the placement or the landing spot, if you will, I, I think that he's going to get some a chance to flash his talent uh, in the system. Because like you're saying, I mean, they're going to use multiple backs. Uh, Mark Ingram, of course, is a big winner as well because, you know, that job is solidified for him. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, 
Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Let's move on to some of these receivers. Nikhil Harry, the last pick of the first round. The Patriots did it again. I kind of alluded to this on the last episode of the Hot Take. You know, I said, you know, last year, you know, we never thought that the Patriots would draft a running back in the first round. They're going to draft a wide receiver. You know, we, we don't really think that the Patriots would do that. But, you know, they, they saw a need, and there's a great value there with Nikhil Harry. I think he's going to have a nice three years with Tom Brady. Um, Tom Brady's going to fall in love with him. They could put him in the slot if they want to. They could put him on the outside. Nikhil Harry is very versatile. You can throw the back shoulder. Obviously, Brady, one of the best in the business at the back shoulder. Great in the red zone. So I, I'm just seeing this as a really good fit. We saw uh, Josh Gordon have at least wide receiver two finishes in six of ten weeks with Tom Brady last year. I think you're going to see a similar style of production or a similar type of production with Nikhil Harry. He's going to be their predominant outside receiver in 2019. Yeah, they need somebody other than Julian Edelman that they can rely on, and I think that's (laughs) basically what Nikhil Harry is going to be. Um, I'm not expecting anything wild. I'm not saying he's going to have a breakout year, but I think he's a guy that you can have as a flex on your team, maybe even a wide receiver too, and feel confident with that every week. Hey, I just thought it was the rich getting richer. I was watching the draft. I'm staying up all night. Very interested. Where would New England go? Is it going to be tight end? Are they going to take a defensive player? And sure enough, they see the best value on the board, in my humble opinion. Nikhil Harry was my pre-draft number one wide receiver, six foot two, 228 pounds. Production is there, athletic ability is there, early breakout age, great route runner, runs the whole route tree, and New England just couldn't pass up this opportunity to acquire this type of asset for their offense. Yeah, no, unbelievable pick. I mean, you know, of course they did pick up Demarius Thomas. They got a couple slot guys. I mean, they've been get, acquiring a lot of receivers because they really needed it um, after a depleted offseason, after Chris Hogan left, Cordell Patterson left. So, you know, they picked up Maurice Harris and Bruce Ellington to kind of play that slot role. You know, one of those guys probably isn't going to make the team. Demarius Thomas, it's yet to be determined if he can come back from that that injury and then he's had some off-season uh, problems himself so Nikhil area is walking to a great situation obviously and for, for the 101 uh, receiver to get drafted into this sort of offense I mean you couldn't ask for anything more uh, as a dynasty player another great fit I mean this is the best situation possible in my opinion for Paris Campbell he is an Indianapolis Colt so he is going to be that burner for Andrew Luck opposite of T.Y. Hilton. Of course, they have Devin Funches over there. Not necessarily a burner at all. Big body, red zone kind of guy. I think he'll be utilized. But Paris Campbell is coming in off of 90 receptions last year. 
which was a school record, I do believe, 90 receptions. So we know that he can be a capable receiver, not just a burner. So I really love this. I picked him at the 108 in the Dynasty draft today just because of the landing spot. You're attached to Andrew Luck for years to come, like I said. I think he's going to have immediate impact. Now, there is concern, I will say. They've tried this before in Indianapolis. They've had Dante Moncrief. They brought in Philip Dorsett. They've had guys that they want plug into that role, and they just couldn't really have that sustained production. I think Paris Campbell's a little different. They used a second-round draft pick on him, so that really, you know, is going to keep him with that team and make them want to use him a lot in this system. So, you know, they have Deion Kane coming back, um, of course, Chester Rogers and those guys, but I think Paris Campbell – when it's all said and done, it's going to find himself out there on three receiver formations. Yeah, I think the difference here is that you have a healthy Andrew Luck. So uh, there's no knock against Dante Moncrief, in my opinion, but Andrew Luck was just not healthy enough or even on the field for most of the time to uh, facilitate, you know, the type of production that Moncrief needed. Whereas now I think they're going to be able to get really creative with Paris Campbell and uh, T.Y. Hilton because you're going to have a guy like Funches and Ebron who you can put in the corner of the end zone or run on the outside. Uh, you know, Ebron is such a gifted athlete that even though he's a tight end, you can move him all across the field. So I think it's going to open up a lot of things and let Paris Campbell work the middle more. Uh, and like you said, really be that burner down the field. Hey, I am all in on Paris Campbell as a Indianapolis Colt. He is tethered to Andrew Luck. What a great opportunity for this young man to exceed in the NFL immediately. He doesn't have to be the alpha male. They have T.Y. Hilton. They have one of the best offensive lines. I think it's in the top three in the NFL. They have Eric Ebron. They have Marlon Mack running. Andrew Luck, the coordinator. I mean, this is just love, love, love. I moved them up into my top six dynasty assets right now. Yeah, 100%. I think I got a good value for him at the end of the first round. Someone tried oh. someone tried trading me Sterling Shepard for that pick, and I rejected it, and I drafted Paris Campbell, and he immediately burned me. He's like, oh, no, Sterling Shepard, way better than Paris Campbell. I'm like, look, I can see what you're saying, but no, I'm, I'm one, I'd rather be attached to Andrew Luck than Eli Manning and Daniel Jones, right? <laughs> Any day of the week, brother. <laughs> so we have another winner from the second round, DK Metcalf. And, you know, it, his draft price was, like, all over the place before the draft. I mean, I saw, you know, maybe late first round, and then I saw as low as the fourth round. So I really wasn't sure what to expect with DK. The, the fantasy community is, it, you know, there's either you love him or you hate him but you really can't hate this draft or this landing spot, especially when you find out the news about Doug Baldwin, that he might have played his last down in the NFL. And if that is true, unfortunately, DK Metcalf walks into a situation where he's going to be a starter on this offense. Now, it is a run first team right now, but we know Russell Wilson can air it out. And he's not bashful to throw the ball in the end zone. He is, you know, efficient in the red zone. I'm loving this spot. I, I love the potential for DK Metcalf. I'm not going to say he's going to come in and dominate. He's raw. There's obviously going to be a learning curve, but he can step in. I mean, it's not unrealistic that he could have eight to 10 touchdowns, 
just because of his size. I think Russell Wilson's got to be one of the top five quarterbacks that you would want to see DK Metcalf with. Obviously, it would be a little bit crowded there if Doug Baldwin was there, but even if he was, he's been so banged up that you would right. you'd have to think that DK Metcalf's still going to get his fair share of playing time. I mean, they haven't had a guy like this like ever in in the Russell Wilson era. You know, there's there's never been a big bodied receiver like this and then we're not even talking about the four three speed this guy has so russell wilson has a new toy yeah i love the landing spot six foot three 228 pounds just killed it in the 40 yard dash look i understand his short first explosion and lateral quickness is obviously not ideal but he has such a unique trait attacking the defense vertically and he's so big, one-on-one is going to be a nightmare when he can get behind the defense or body up a defender 40 yards down the field with Russell Wilson. I love this landing spot. Um, I think, you know, he. I have him, I think, right behind Paris Campbell because I think maybe, no, this is just my opinion, Luck is a little better of a dynasty asset than Russell Wilson, and the offense, I think, is more – predicated on the pass in Indianapolis and the offense in Seattle. So I like Campbell better, but I do love DK Metcalf very much. So let's talk about the Cardinals. They got Kyler Murray, they got Andy Isabella, and they got Hakeem Butler. So of course we have Kyler Murray, who is getting his receiver from college, Andy Isabella. So the chemistry is already there. And then you have Hakeem Butler, who uh, John, did you say he was your number three receiver going into the draft? Yes, my number three going into the draft. So, obviously, you know, there's a lot of potential for Hakeem Butler to be great in the NFL. Not just good, but great. And he now has the opportunity to learn from one of the best of all time in Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, what a, be- a benefit, what a luxury for Hakeem Butler to come in and not have to have the pressure of being the guy but he most certainly has the opportunity to be on the field very often. I mean, when I look at this, you know, Chris, Christian Kirk obviously has the established role here, but this is Klingsbury's team now. He drafted his receiver. He drafted his quarterback. And I'm not sure what's going to happen with Christian Kirk. He's going to be used, of course. And I just don't know who's going to get the majority of the snaps when it comes to all of these receivers. So it's going to be very interesting, but I think these are all big winners. Obviously, Kyler Murray is in the perfect system. Andy Isabella is going to be used a lot. I think something like a Deshaun Jackson light for Andy Isabella, and he can have that immediate impact as he can be like a boom or bust guy um, where he can really give you that big fantasy output even in year one. So he's a great best ball candidate. I love Andy Isabella at the end of best ball drafts. And then the same with Hakeem Butler, because like you said, John, I mean, this offense is going to be high flying if they can do it right. Yes, all the parts are there. Now can Cliff Kingsbury scheme and protect the quarterback at the NFL level? That's the only part of this puzzle that we don't know yet. But the quarterback is there. The running back is there, and all of the offensive weapons are there. And I forgot, there's one other player who I thought was a steal. Caleb Wilson is arguably one of the best athletes, not physical athletes. He's really a hybrid wide receiver and tight end. 
but one of the best athletes at the tight end position in this draft. And I think Cliff Kingsbury is going to use him as a hybrid tight end wide receiver. And he was in the seventh round. I thought that was a very astute pickup by Arizona. I love that. Yeah, Blake, what do you think of Kyler and Andy Isabella, Hakeem Butler in, in year one? Yeah, I won't repeat too much because I think you guys have really, uh, really covered that pretty well. Uh, obviously, Kyler is going to be at the head of that offense, and the production should be insane. Uh, I see a huge Dustin, or David Johnson resurgence this year uh, with Kyler in that backfield. I think that's going to be really fun to watch. And the big thing I'm looking at is Hakeem Butler, I think, uh, has a role in this offense immediately. In my opinion, I think that Larry Fitzgerald is a very good pro comp for Hakeem Butler as far as his physicality. I'd like to see Butler get a little bit better with his hands. He makes a lot of crazy catches, uh, kind of like Odell Beckham Jr., but obviously his hands aren't that good. But I think working alongside Larry Fitzgerald, um, he'll learn how to get better at that and be more successful. So I, I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. And then Andy Isabella and Christian Kirk are two guys that give you a different kind of look um, from that from that bigger bodied receiver. So, you know, Kyler's going to have a lot of options this next year, and I think it's going to be really fun. And uh, I think every single one of those receivers is going to have some kind of fantasy value. I just don't know how high it's going to be yet. John, where do you feel comfortable drafting Hakeem Butler and Andy Isabella, each separately? In a rookie dynasty? Yes, sir. Um, I would go second round. You second might, round for both players? Yeah, you could reach. I mean, if you were really strong at the running back and you really wanted a wide receiver like Andy and Isabella at the end, like maybe pick 11 or 12, I could reach a little bit. But I would feel more comfortable in the second round. And I would take Isabella before Butler. Got it. Wow. Okay. See, that's that. I have not seen that once. Everyone's going Butler over Isabella, no doubt. Um, I have to follow the draft capital. I mean, it's a, the second to fourth right. round draft pick is significant draft capital. So yep. that means the Cardinals really liked Andy Isabella a lot more than Akeem Butler. There was no guarantee that Butler was going to be there in the fourth round. So exactly, they wanted a receiver, and they thought that Butler was better. But they liked Isabella for obvious reasons. I mean, he was Kyler Murray's receiver, and it's perfect for the system. So, yeah, I think they just saw Hakeem Butler there in the fourth round. They're like, okay, well, we, you know, let's let's take a chance with this guy. But Isabella, I think that's some of it. I do. Yeah, but but I, Isabella I think... was drafted with more intent, most definitely. Yes. And they just looked up and they said, oh, my God, did you realize Hakeem Butler's still sitting around? Exactly. And they took him. Exactly. Kind of like a poor man's Cardinals right now. Dwayne Haskins and Terry McLaurin, of course, both from Ohio State, are coming into uh, the Washington Redskins as immediate starters, the way I'm looking at it, because, you know, the Redskins receivers have been, you know, mediocre at best over the years. They haven't had that guy who can just stand out. Jameson Crowder really didn't pan out. He wasn't the guy they thought he could be. Ironically enough, his best years were when Pierre Garçon and Deshaun Jackson were there. Now all three of those guys are gone. It's a completely different look for the Washington Redskins. So Terry McLaurin, that 4-3-5 speed, that 95 percentile beat score, he is agile enough, Six foot 208, 
decently sized. I mean, I really like this player. Not a huge uh, college production, but he did have those 11 touchdowns last season. Um, of course, Dwayne Haskins had a lot of time in the pocket, a lot more time than he's going to have in Washington. So what can we expect from Terry McLaurin? I, I think that he's kind of a sleeper right now in rookie drafts. I think he's definitely a sleeper. So maybe at the end of your – towards the end of your rookie, uh, rookie drafts this year, I think he could be a good pick. Uh, I really like what Dwayne Haskins brings to the table. So there's definitely going to be some upside there. But I don't know how early I would go out and grab him. I wasn't overly high on McLaren before the draft. And, you know, I think Haskins is a couple years away from being a fantasy asset that you really want. Um, so I, I actually like someone better who was drafted on Washington later on. So I'd rather get him for value than go for Terry McLaren. Yeah, and, you know, it, it'll be interesting because I just want to see how they value their receivers. Because if McLaren uh, beats out some of these guys, I mean, we have Paul Richardson, Josh Doxson, players like that like I love Josh Dotson but he just hasn't panned out I don't know what they want to do but I think that Dwayne Haskins actually could make Josh Dotson into you know a more relevant receiver but we know that McLaren's going to be used and I think going to be used often as their burner um, so we're going to see you know a, a connection between those two this year probably more suited for best ball and, uh, you know, I wouldn't take him with anything more than like a late second round pick, uh, kind of echoing what you're saying. I want to talk about Darwin Thompson. He's a big winner. And this is somebody who I saw kind of like late on this highlight tape because I saw like the Tariq Cohen comparisons. He's 5'8". He's 198. He's actually a big boy for 5'8". I mean, 198 is substantially big for 5'8". Um, and, you know, he really can't catch the ball like Tariq Cohen, so he's not going to be a pass-catching specialist unless they turn him into that. But if you look at his tape, I mean, he is freakishly athletic. He, he doesn't have crazy speed. He doesn't have, um, you know, the, the, the size that you want. But he got drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's why he's a winner, in my opinion. John, you can take this, obviously. He's from Utah State. He was drafted in the sixth round. So this is nothing more than a flyer for the Kansas City Chiefs. They saw the raw athletic ability. Um, I don't think he's going to compete for an, any sort of starting work. But then again, Damian Williams isn't the kind of guy who is a locked and loaded starter. Of course, Carlos Hyde has the reputable workload in his, in his career. But Darwin Thompson just lands in a perfect situation, being on a perfect team. This scheme is tailor-made for Darwin Thompson. 5'8", 198 pounds, late bloomer at Utah State. He comes from a JUCO school, but he was very, very good his last year on campus. He's powerful, short yardage runner. He has good brute strength for a man, only 198 pounds. And he's a good pass catcher out of the backfield. So I think Andy Reid in the scouting department identified Thompson's skill set as a perfect match for the offensive system. But it is kind of interesting that I think his competition is actually going to be the undrafted free agent, James Williams, because they actually have very similar skill sets. They're almost the exact same size where um, James Williams is 5'10", 195, Darwin Thompson's 5'8", 198. So that's going to be a very interesting battle in camp. 
Now, obviously, Darwin Thompson, the fact that they drafted him, tells me that they want him to win the spot and they believe he's a better back. But you never know what could happen in training camp. So let's get into some of these rookie losers. And I have them, you know, labeled as losers, but that is subject uh, for discussion. And James Williams is listed here as one of my losers only because he wasn't drafted. Now, he is in that Kansas City uh, system right now, and he caught 83 passes last year at Washington State. He also was used a lot on the goal line, so he can pound in the rock. He had double-digit touchdowns last year in his junior season. So I love James Williams. He was actually uh, my fifth-ranked running back going into, going into the draft. Now, you're right. He could beat out Darwin Thompson, but the fact that they drafted Darwin Thompson makes me believe they, they want him to win that job, kind of like you said. I love James Williams as a player. I think they can use both, really. Now, I'm going to give you a hot take. Okay. There's a 50-50 chance Carlos Hyde does not make this roster. Wow. And, and you know, a, lot of people, a lot of people are viewing him as the dark horse to really lead this backfield. No, I think there's a chance you could keep Darwin Thompson as your backup to Damian Williams and have him as your short yardage runner. And James Williams is your pass catcher out of the backfield. I think that both would thrive in the system and they both yes. utilized. Um, so I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think both of these guys, both Darwin Thompson, both James Williams are worth a pick in a, in a rookie draft. I mean, you have, you can't ignore that they're in this Kansas city chiefs system. I mean, hey, you want to hear, hear, here's something in a draft I'm doing. I'm waiting for my pick to come up. Darwin Thompson pick three Oh seven. James Williams pick 405. Wow, there you go. And see, I'm eyeing both of those guys at the three or the third or the fourth round. Yep, that's where they're probably going to be going. And I think one owner is going to get the home run. We just aren't 100% sure who it is yet. So let's name some of these uh, other losers here. And then, Blake, you can just tell me which one you think has a chance for, let's say, 2019 production and then moving forward. So we got Marquise Brown, A.J. Brown, we got Kelvin Harmon, and then Trevion Williams, Rodney Anderson, both drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. The only reason I have them as losers is, of course, because they're not going to get much run behind Joe Mixon. And then, of course, Gio Bernard is still there. And then Emmanuel Hall, and I have him as a loser just because he was undrafted. Yeah, so the top three guys in this list I'm actually huge fans of. That's Hollywood Brown, A.J. Brown, and Kelvin Harmon. But obviously, A.J. Brown going to Tennessee, I do not like that with Marcus Mariota. Yeah. You know, we don't even know if he'll get two catches in a game. So it's going to be really tough to get pro uh, production out of him, I think, even though he's a great receiver. Hollywood Brown, I think, can actually have a pretty solid year. But again, we talk about how run-heavy that offense is, and – you know, at the end of the day with Mark Andrews getting a lot of the carries or, or a lot of the uh, receptions from Lamar Jackson, I think it's going to be tough for Hollywood to really sneak in there. And they're going to have to be creative with him, I think. But Kelvin Harmon's my main guy in here that I actually think is a winner just because I really love Dwayne Haskins. And I think that Kelvin Harmon's going to play really well to him. Uh, we did a show with Jeff Lambert on going for two on the – Arm, armchair fantasy show and I actually compared Kelvin Harmon to uh, Jordy Nelson who you know just doesn't wow you when you look at the stats uh look at the metrics 
or even watch the video, but he does little things like running routes, fighting off defenders. He's got good hands. All those things uh, are going to be really important, especially with having a rookie quarterback. And if that offensive line can, can protect Haskins, I think Carmen's going to be in for not only quite a few yards, but a lot of touchdowns as well this year. Yeah, I think there's a lot of sneaky value with Kelvin Harmon because, you know, no one has really given him the the credit, including a lot of NFL teams that passed him up after that, uh, that lackluster NFL combine. But, you know, before the combine, I mean, Kelvin Harmon was like a top three receiver in this rookie class. So it's really tough to, to say, but I mean, I think that you, you're on to something. There could be a lot of value with Harmon. Again, there's a lot of opportunity in, with these receivers that really haven't done much uh, for the Redskins. John, you kind of answered it already with James Williams. I think maybe he would be one of your, you know, most likely here, but who else besides James Williams has a chance for at least fantasy production, uh, maybe not this year, but potentially this year in like best ball situations? Well, I'm going to um, concur with my good friend Blake here. I like Kelvin Harmon still. He's falling. Um, he just went at the beginning of the third round. His production was so good at North Carolina State, it can't be ignored. Now, right. his, athlete, his athletic profile from the combine tells us that he has a ceiling that he's not going to probably exceed. He's not going to be your 1,300-yard receiver. But if you put him in the slot and let him dominate smaller cornerbacks, I think the young man could be a 900-yard, 60-catch, six-touchdown receiver. I think the Redskins, I believe they got him in the sixth round. So I think there's value. I have Kelvin Harmon ranked right now number 24 among my prospects. So I'm, I'm looking for the value of Kelvin Harmon. I also like it because I don't think that depth chart has an alpha male. So right. I think it's an opportunity to exceed upwards and have opportunity and snaps. Now, Hollywood Brown, I was a little bit lower on him than most before the draft. I'm worried about the Liz Frank injury. I'm yes. worried about a player below 175 pounds. So I, I definitely think he's a loser ending up in Baltimore in that system. Honestly, A.J. Brown, all my shears are now burned. He's tethered to Marcus Mariota. He's in a run-first-based offense with Corey Davis. I mean, they're going to split receptions. Done. Um, Travion Williams, I think, is the long-term answer to Giovanni Bernard as yep. a pass catcher. Rodney Anderson, what we found out is Rodney Anderson's injury is worse than we thought. Yeah. If the medical reports were positive from the combine, which none of us were able to see, I do believe he would have been a third or fourth round pick. But the fact that he slipped that far says there's something in those medical reports that scared teams off. 100%. Yeah, it's unfortunate with Rodney Anderson. And I think that Cincinnati, you know, just saw him in the sixth round and they figured they would take a shot. If he can be, get healthy, um, there's obvious value with Rodney Anderson who would have been if healthy, potentially the first running back taken off the board in the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, to drop that far, the, 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 the doctors must have told, the medical staffs told teams, this looks pretty bad here. Right. John, I want to thank you for coming on to the show, man. It was awesome to have you on. You know, I wouldn't want to have anyone else on to recap the NFL draft, one of the more knowledgeable draft analysts out there. Um, tell us, 
who you think one of the veteran winners was of the NFL draft. So obviously we've been talking about the rookies. Who's a veteran winner after the NFL draft? I've been thinking a lot about this, and I know it's going to sound crazy. Derek Carr of the Oakland Raiders. He's standing. I mean, how many times have we heard rumors John Gruden doesn't like him? People definitely thought the Raiders were going to either draft a quarterback or they were going to trade for a quarterback. They didn't get any of these quarterbacks in the draft. They didn't acquire Josh Rosen. They didn't bring in a veteran to challenge Derek Carr. Look, I'm not in love with Derek Carr, but at the end of the day, Derek Carr is the starting quarterback in Oakland. And if you had told me in January, I would have taken the odds that there was a good chance he was not going to be the starter. So I think he's the big winner. Yeah, they could have easily drafted Kyler Murray or trade, yeah. at least traded uh, to that first pick and tried to get him, or they could have gotten Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, they did nothing. They didn't even take Drew Locke in the second round, Will Greer in the third. I mean, they literally did nothing at the quarterback position. Or Daniel Jones in the first. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> nothing. Like, I think Derek Carr is just good enough that he, he gets to skimp. You know, that's he, the problem, right? He gets to get by with it. And, uh, you know, there's no point in them wasting a draft pick or doing anything rash and taking a chance where, where they need to improve in other areas. And um, I think, you know what, I, I'll say one other thing. I think the Raiders are looking at next year's quarterback class and said, hey, look, it, if we can bring in building blocks and then if Carr doesn't work out, let us get a quarterback next year when there's actually some talent around him on the team. That's, I think, their kind of strategy right now. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. That's got to be what they're doing. But, you know, I also can't really judge their strategy because they traded away Khalil Mack. So we'll see how well, it all that's, out. Yes, that's <laughs> – So my winner has got to be Devontae Freeman. I mean, I was high on him even if Tevin Coleman was coming back. But Tevin Coleman is gone. They didn't get anybody worthwhile in the draft, in my opinion. They got Kadri Allison from yep. Pittsburgh. I don't expect him to just come in and take over. You know, maybe he eats into Ito Smith's role, but I don't see him eating into Devontae Freeman's role. And Freeman was a running back one while Tevin Coleman was still out there producing at RB2, RB3 type numbers. So I don't see any scenario, unless his injury has really gotten to him that much, that Freeman's not going to be uh, a back-end RB1 or top-end RB2 this season. I mean, they, they obviously aren't concerned or else they would have drafted somebody with a higher pick. But what they did was they bolstered their line in the first round, and that's a big win for Devontae Freeman. That's a big win for Matt Ryan and this Atlanta Falcons offense. Um, we know that their defense was banged up last year. They're coming back healthy, and that's going to help Devontae Freeman even more because they aren't going to have to pass as much as they did last year. Um, so they, the Atlanta Falcons obviously feel very confident about Devontae Freeman, who is, you know, they put a lot of money into. Now, you know, maybe it's fool's gold and they just want to at least look smart that they paid this man um, what they did. But Devontae Freeman is looking like, you know, he's going to be a huge value. I mean, he's at this point, he's going to be a fourth uh, round pick in redraft leagues. I mean, it's tremendous value for Devontae Freeman, who's been the RB1 overall 
you know, just a couple years ago. So my big winner is Lamar Jackson. We talked about it a little bit earlier. What the Baltimore Ravens did is they got him playmakers. Um, so, you know, in the passing game, which you're not really relying on for Lamar Jackson when you draft him, he's going to have the opportunity to get at the playmakers and let them do the rest. That's what I like about Lamar Jackson. But what I also love is that, you know, these guys are going to stretch the field a little bit, and that's going to allow him to have space to run. He had 697 rushing yards on 147 carries last year. I've been saying it before on this show. I think he's going to touch 1,000 rushing yards. He has the opportunity to do that in a full season in this offense. He has more of an opportunity to do that now, I believe, with the offensive weapons they've surrounded him with. So I really like Lamar Jackson coming out of this draft. And then, of course, Justice Hill, if they can use him as a pass catcher, is tremendous value for Lamar Jackson. Again, a guy who you can get the ball in his hands early, and he can just do the, do the rest of the work. Um, that's great in fantasy football when you have a quarterback who has a bunch of weapons just like that. So love Lamar Jackson for fantasy big winner coming out of the draft. Awesome. I want to thank our guest again, John Laub. John, where can everybody find you on Twitter? Sure. I'm GridironSkull91. I could not afford the A and the R when I opened my account six years ago. So find me on GridironSkull91 on Twitter. I'd love for you to interact with me and ask me any questions. Give me a follow back. And I follow back most people who I find on Twitter. Fantastic. And then, Blake, do you want to talk a little bit about the draft service before we get out of here? Yeah, so the draft service is really starting to pick up here. We're going to be adding on John so definitely if you liked his uh, hot takes, his smart takes, you're definitely going to want to be uh, utilizing his knowledge with the draft service. And that's going to be over on the FSGN.com, the Fantasy Sports Gaming Network. Uh, we're working on building that on the site, so it's not quite ready yet. But feel free to reach out to me or Steven or John and ask us questions about it, how it's going to work. Basically, we're going to have a couple different ways that we can help you with your draft, uh, before your draft and after your draft, and of course, throughout the season as well. So uh, be sure you keep an eye out on that. Yeah, more to come on that in the upcoming episodes. And then, of course, you can uh, follow uh, me on Twitter at FFProfessorST3, Blake at Blake Sullivan, FF. On behalf of John and Blake, my name is Stephen Taroni. This has been the Hot Take Podcast.